For many years, custody of the children was the big prize in any divorce or separation. Especially with the introduction of no-fault divorce, custody of the children was important because it showed who won the divorce. For separating parents, getting custody and controlling the other parent's access has become the ultimate goal, which superseded other considerations like maintaining an amicable relationship with other parents, or being able to co-parent, or addressing the children's needs. With the introduction of the child support guidelines, custody became even more important because it also meant entitlement to child support and even shared parenting meant getting less child support. The huge importance separated parents have placed on getting custody is indisputable. In this edition of the Ontario Family Law Podcast, I will explain how if you go to court to get custody of children, you are certain not to get it. I'm John Schumann, a certified specialist in Family Law in Ontario. I'm also a mediator, arbitrator, and collaborative lawyer. This podcast is a companion to my book, Guide to the Basics of Ontario Family Law, which is available on the iBookstore, Amazon, Kobo, and in fine bookstores. Just the idea of child custody has become controversial over the last several years. Many, including groups concerned about domestic violence, those concerned about parental rights, and people who favor traditional parenting, feel child custody is an important concept because it is important for children to have a primary parent who makes all the decisions for children, especially after separation, because warring parents cannot make decisions that were focused on the children's best interest. So one parent needs complete control over the children. For those concerned about children's rights and doing what is in the children's best interest, the concept of custody of the children is one that has many problems. The idea of having physical custody of the children came from the idea that children were essentially the property of a parent, not human beings. Parental rights were thought to be inalienable until separation, then the parent who had custody had total control over the children. The idea of child rights did not exist because of the belief that children were not mature enough to have rights. The term custody evolved in Canadian family law. Eventually it came to reference not having physical custody of the children, which is what almost everybody thought, to who makes decisions for the children. The parent who had custody got to make those decisions, which meant caring for the children for most of the time while the other parent had access, which meant that parent could visit with the children but had very little say in the lives of the children. The child support guidelines also provided that the parent with whom the children lived got child support, which added to the significant gulf between the parent who had custody and the parent who did not. Getting custody came to have many rights. It was more than just a trophy. It was worth fighting over, especially when one parent could make the decisions for the children in a way that marginalized the other parent in the children's lives. Often, non-custodial parents felt like tourists in their children's lives, even though access parents had extensive rights under the Ontario Family Law statutes. Being called an access parent became a term of shame that somehow seemed to reflect an incompetency in parenting, regardless of that parent's parenting skills and love for the children. So parents went to family court to go to war with the other parent to get custody. Parents spent massive financial and emotional resources getting custody. Often that drained all the family savings and the children's university savings. It also left parents emotionally exhausted. We now understand that the exposure to that high level of conflict, not the divorce or separation itself, resulted in serious harm to the children. In a previous episode, I described how when judges decided who got custody, they were no longer considering parental rights, 
nor the importance of maternal instinct in raising children. The test under the law became looking at what was in the best interests of the children. The term child custody stopped referring to who had the children physically with him or her and instead referred to which parent made decisions regarding children. With whom the children spent their time became a separate issue from child custody. There were orders for custody which addressed who made decisions and orders for where the children spent their time that could no longer be unilaterally changed by the parent who had custody. But even so, family law professionals and many judges starting to realize that child custody was an antiquated term. The mere idea of child custody focused on what the parents wanted and not what the children needed. For at least a decade, parenting professionals and parenting mediators have avoided the term custody and have instead looked at what the children needed. The focus shifted to the children's lives and what the children needed, where they needed to be and when, what important issues, challenges and opportunities the children faced, and who should make decisions about them and what parent was available to take on the responsibilities related to the children. Ideally, parents would cooperate to meet their children's needs, even when one parent had to take on more of the responsibilities related to the children, but where parents could not cooperate, parenting professionals, parenting mediators, and some judges would still avoid custody orders by creating parenting regimes with extensive terms that set out, sometimes in minute detail, how parents would fulfill the children's needs, including the need to spend time with each parent, but also their needs to attend school, get health care, participate in their culture and religion, and engage in activities. A lot of lawyers, judges, and family professionals came to the conclusion that focused on, on child custody meant focusing on the parents, but children really needed the focus of separate parents to be on them. So in 2019, the federal government, followed by the provincial governments, made big changes to the Divorce Act and other family laws to abolish the term custody and access and change the focus of parenting orders on the children and their needs. Those changes went into effect on March 1, 2021. Judges now make parenting orders, not custody orders, and those parenting orders have two components, parenting responsibilities and parenting time. There are some basic parenting responsibilities, like feeding the children, making sure they get to bed, encouraging proper behavior, and preventing the children from doing anything that is dangerous. Unless there is a reason for a judge to order otherwise, both parents have those responsibilities when the children are with them. But there are bigger responsibilities involved in raising children, such as getting the children to the doctor, dentist, or other professionals, doing school projects, and involvement in school activities and committees, getting the children to the church, synagogue, or mosque, and to any religious education, and getting the children to their practices, games, recitals, and competitions, and other activities, just to name a few. Taking on those responsibilities also involves making decisions about them. While together, parents have to sort out how they will divide up these responsibilities. They have to do that after separation as well. So working out parenting after separation means listing all the parenting responsibilities and deciding which parent is going to take on each of them and if it, is, if it is possible for the parents to share those responsibilities, which can mean a great deal of cooperation. This is not an all or none exercise. It should involve looking at each responsibility, such as swimming lessons, soccer practices, music lessons, dentist appointments, and many more, and deciding which parent will be responsible for each one individually. It is possible for one parent to be responsible for hockey and the other to be responsible for gymnastics. 
It is also possible that parents may share responsibilities if they can work together and both do things like work with the children's school on the child's IEP. Which parent does what is based on what will work best for the child and it often relates to who looked after that responsibility when the parents were together. But it also can depend on which parent is available, which parent is interested in that responsibility, which parent knows something about that responsibility, or which parent does it with the child or other considerations particular to the family. Some responsibilities can be very significant and perhaps too much for one person. So it may be ideal for the parents to share that responsibility with the other parent if they can cooperate or it may be dependent on which parent can get help with those responsibilities from parents of other children or others in the community. It is always best for the children when their parents can share responsibilities with both parents being involved in all aspects of their lives and one parent able to jump in and take responsibility when the other parent has something come up. But that really requires that the parents be able to get along and put the children first and not prioritize fighting over their gripes with their ex. Exposing children to parental conflict can actually cause physical damage to the children's brains and can lead to long-lasting psychological and emotional problems. So a parent who demands to take on the responsibilities with another parent with whom they fight constantly will not get a lot of sympathy from a judge. Fortunately, the new family law legislation also provides incentives for parents to learn new ways to work out their issues in a cooperative manner through mediation, collaborative practice, parenting coordination, or other alternative dispute resolution options. But still, sharing a parenting responsibility with an ex does mean being able to get along with the ex and make decisions cooperatively and without one parent bullying, harassing, or attacking the other. When parents cannot get along, it is still possible for each of them to take on responsibilities independently. One parent takes on one set of responsibilities and the other parent takes on the other set without any overlap. In other cases, it may be that it makes most sense for one parent to take on most of the parenting responsibilities. That decision should reflect the realities of the situation, such as the availability of the parent to take on responsibilities, and not be based on anger, emotion, or ideological beliefs. Similarly, parenting time, especially as children get older, is often a function of where the children need to be and when, and then which parent can be available to meet the necessary responsibilities. So if one parent is responsible for taking a child to an activity, that parent should have parenting time that permits that. Parenting time also has taken into account how parents' schedules affect their availability to parent. Really, setting up parenting time often involves looking at the children's schedules and then the parents' schedules and figuring out the logistics of getting the children where they need to be and getting the things done that have to be done and allowing the children time with each parent. Time with the children should not be a prize, but instead a parenting time should reflect how their parents can best meet the children's needs and ensure the children have the best possible relationship with each parent. Where there are disagreements about how to achieve these objectives, the concept of parental rights will not have any bearing on how a court or arbitrator resolves any parenting issues. When deciding which parent has which responsibility for the children and what time children spend with their parents, the only thing a judge or arbitrator is allowed to consider is the best interests of the children. In determining the best interests of the children, the law says a judge or arbitrator must consider some specific factors. Those factors are the child's needs considering the child's age and stage of development and the child's need for stability. The nature and strength of the child's relationship with each parent 
each of the child's siblings, and grandparents and anyone else who plays an important role in the child's life. Each parent's willingness to support the development of the, and maintenance of the child's relationship with the other parent. How the parents care for the child in the past. Where possible, the child's views and preferences give and due weight to the child's age and maturity. The child's cultural, linguistic, religious, and spiritual upbringings and heritage. Any plans for the child's care. The ability and willingness of each parent to care for and meet the needs of the child. The ability and willingness of each parent to communicate and cooperate with the other parents on matters affecting the child. And any family violence. The judge considers all of these factors. No one factor eliminates the need to consider the others. For example, a child's stated preferences about who will parent him or her does not determine the issue. It is just one factor the judge takes into account in determining how to allocate parenting responsibilities and parenting time. Ultimately, both these decisions are based on what is best for the children. It is not a reflection of which parent should win. To the contrary, the ability of the parents to cooperate and support the children's relationship with the other parent are two factors to consider. The ability of a parent to take on a responsibility is also a consideration. But what parents want or what role each parent thinks he or she should play is not a consideration. Going to court and asking for custody is a mistake. It shows the judge that the parent does not understand the law. But it also makes it look like the parent is focused on all the wrong things. The parent who wants custody looks selfish and not focused on the children's needs. It is important to look at the entire situation from the child's perspective. What arrangements will work best for the children? What parent is best able to take on each of the parenting responsibilities for the child? Then, how should the parents divide up parenting time to best suit what is going on in the children's lives. A parent who goes to court demanding custody is certain to be disappointed. Not only can a court not grant it, but a judge will look with disapproval on the focus and look more favorably on the parent who focuses on what will work best for the children. A selfish parent will not only not get custody, but will not get many parenting responsibilities either. If you need some more general family law guidance, or you need to understand Ontario family law better so you can make better decisions, if you need to know the best parenting options after separation, or if you need to better understand how finances work after separation or divorce, or if you need some tips for how best to make these difficult types of decisions, get a copy of my book, Guide to the Basics of Ontario Family Law. You can access it immediately on the iBookstore, on Amazon for the Kindle version, or you can download it for Kobo. Amazon can deliver the paperback version directly to your doorstep. You can also get a lot more Ontario Family Law information on www.schumanlaw.ca. Not only are there are hundreds of pages of Family Law information and links, but there are links to get my book and links to reach my office to meet with either me or one of my colleagues because it is always best to get a lawyer who can give you expert advice that is specific to your situation. You can also reach me at 416-446-5080. In addition to my website, keep up to date on family law and children's law issues by liking my Facebook page, 
following me on Twitter at, at @humanfama, and finding me on LinkedIn. Of course, please subscribe to my YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to be kept up to date. You can get the audio versions of the Ontario Family Law Podcasts on all major podcasting services, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. They are also available at www.humanlaw.ca. Thanks for participating in this podcast. We will get together again soon.